I heard a story this week of a man named Jack. He was walking alongside a, uh, a little road, a little pathway, alongside a cliff. And he slipped off the side of the cliff. And right before he fell off this cliff, thousands of feet into this cavern, he grabbed onto a tree branch. And he was hanging there off the side of the cliff. And he began to yell. He said, help me, help me, somebody up there, help me, help me began to yell and scream, and, and nobody heard him. Finally, there was a voice that said, I'll help you, Jack. He said, great, great, help me. Help me off of this cliff. I, I'm slipping. I can't hold on much longer. And uh, the voice said, I'll help you, Jack. He said, well, who is this? He said, this is God. He said, God, help me. I mean, I'm slipping off this cliff, and I, I don't know what's, how long, how much longer I can hang on. I need your help. I need your help. He said, I'm going to help you, Jack. Just calm down. I'm going to help you. And, and uh, God said, Jack, uh, uh, I want you to just trust me. Will you trust me? He said, yes, I'll trust you. In fact, God, I'll do whatever you say. If you get me off this cliff, I'll, I'll give my whole life to you. I'll do anything you ask me to do. I'll, I'll serve you the rest of my life. I'll give you all my money. I'll give you everything that I have. Just please save me off this cliff. <clears throat> God said, Jack, slow down. Uh, don't make too many promises you can't fulfill. Uh, but Jack, here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust me. He says, I trust you, God. Just get me off this cliff. God said, okay, Jack. Let go of the branch. A few minutes of silence passed, and Jack said, Help, help! Is there anybody else up there that can help me? Now, aren't we a little bit like that sometimes? Don't we want God's help, but we want him to help us the way we want to be helped? And we want him to work out the situation the way we want it to work out? And he wants us, and we want him to do the things that really we want him to do? Uh, well, today we're going to talk about our belief system, our belief system. And folks, uh, we need to believe what we believe strongly. Uh, today we're going to talk about standing strong in difficult times. When things go wrong and we slip off the side of the mountain, uh, what do we do? When things go wrong, when things don't go as we uh, really want them to go, how do we react? What do we stand on? And I want you to really pay close attention to the kind of subtitle of today's sermon because we're really going to, the key is really in that subtitle. Having convictions in an age of compromise. Now, folks, we talk about belief systems. And listen, the Bible talks a lot about what we believe. Jesus said many, many times what we believe is very important. But we use that word for things that we just believe. Like, for instance, I believe that I could beat Corey, our drummer, in an arm wrestling match. <laughs> well, you aren't very encouraging. Uh, listen, I can believe that all I want to. It doesn't make it true, right? It doesn't make it true. And so we can believe all kinds of things that we want to believe. It's not enough to just believe things. We have to have deep and abiding convictions that our lives are based on. And so I want us to just take a few minutes and discuss the difference between belief and conviction. Because we use the word belief in a way that the Bible really uses, really means the word conviction. I want us to see the difference. A belief is, means that we accept something as true, genuine, or real. I just believe it. Now sometimes <clears throat> that belief is really our personal opinion. I believe Homemade vanilla ice cream is the best ice cream on the planet. I believe it. And that's my opinion. Now, you may agree or disagree with that, but that's a belief. But convictions are very different than a belief. For me to say that I believe something is one thing, but to have a conviction about it is something different. A conviction means to be so thoroughly convinced 
that something is true, that you take a stand for it no matter the cost. No matter the cost. Now, if I were to say, I believe I can beat Corey, our drummer, in an arm wrestling match, that would be a belief. But if I were to say, in fact, I will bet my home that I can beat him, that's a conviction. No, it's a wrong conviction, uh, but it is a conviction. I, I, I've believed it so much, I've believed it so completely that now I've risked something on my belief. I've been willing to put something on the line because I believe it. It's moved from being just this uh, viewpoint, headstrong belief to this very uh, deep abiding conviction. And so I want us to think about this as we uh, talk today. <clears throat> I want you to read. I want to read to you a, a, a story in this book. It's a book. It's a very small book by Josh McDowell called "Beyond Belief to Convictions," and really, it's more about statistical stuff and information about our day and age. And I'm going to read some of that to you a little bit later. But I want you to hear uh, this uh, little story that he has here in this booklet about uh, being at a youth camp and talking with some kids. Um, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about how important it is uh, in this uh, "God's Not Dead" two movie. And just kind of the, the viewpoint in our culture today, how important it is for us to have the right beliefs about, the, about Christianity. And how we look at the evidence, as we talked last week, if you look at the evidence of biblical Christianity, there's really no intelligent conclusion to come to, but that Jesus rose from the dead, he's exactly who he said he was, and then the dominoes begin to fall. That conclusion has incredible uh, meaning. It has incredible uh, uh, parameters now that need to take place because he is the Son of God. But I think it's important for us to always remind ourselves uh, that it's not how much we believe necessarily, it's what we believe in and how much we believe that goes hand in hand. So I want you to uh, just listen to this here. Uh, so some time ago I was speaking at a denominational youth conference. These kids were not just any kids. The denomination had assembled their top young people at this conference. They were the cream of the crop, solid Christian kids. Because I was planning to talk the next day about the truth of the Bible, I went from one young person to another in the course of my address and asked, why do you believe the Bible to be, the true, to be true? The kids didn't have an answer. The next day before the morning session, a young man came running up to me and he shouted, I know the answer! He caught me off guard a little bit. I wasn't sure what he was referring to, so I asked, the answer to what? He said, to your question about why I believe the Bible is true. Okay, I said, let's hear it. He said, because I believe, he answered with assurance, because I have faith. So you're saying the Bible is true because you believe it? I asked. Yes, he couldn't have sounded more convinced. I looked around at the kids who had gathered to listen. Many of them were smiling and nodding their heads in agreement as though this young man had solved a great riddle. And now it all seems so obvious. I then asked him, does that mean that the Bible would also be true for your neighbor or for the kid down the street? It would be if they believed it, the boy responded. I gazed at him for a few seconds. His answer saddened me deeply. But I knew he was all too typical of our kids today and some adults. Finally, I said, you know the basic difference between you and me? What? he asked, smiling. To you, I said, the Bible is true because you believe it. I believe it because it is true. Alarming as it may be, 
The fact is the majority of our young people today, even the brightest and the best of them, are in agreement with that young man. They believe that the act of believing makes things true. They have accepted a way of thinking that I call subjective believism, a philosophy that states, if you believe something is true for you, then believing makes it so. Folks, <laughs> we wonder why our kids are graduating high school uh, without the ability to think, without the ability to uh, uh, problem solve. Uh, we continue to fall behind in the world. It's because this philosophy is, is moving into our, our public schools, but it's not just in the public schools. Listen, the public schools are not to blame, okay? okay? The public schools are a reflection of the culture. The culture has moved to a place where there are no more absolutes. There is no moral right and wrong. There are no convictions. In fact, whatever you want to believe for yourself is fine. Folks, that's just wrong. I don't care how much a person believes 2 plus 3 equals 4. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. And there are a lot of things in this world uh, that are true because they are just frankly true. And, and, and we need to accept them because they are true not make them true because we believe them. So today we're going to talk about having these convictions about God and the gospel and about his son, Jesus Christ. But I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 15.1. Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Now he's not, he's not standing around with a bunch of them saying, in which you're standing up. He's not saying that. He's saying, listen, I'm going to remind you of the gospel, the fact that you are all sinners, the fact that your sin is something that separates you from God, the fact that you can't do anything about your sin on your own, the fact that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins, and by faith, putting your faith and your trust in what he did on the cross, you can be saved from your sins and receive forgiveness and begin a relationship with God. I'm reminding you, brothers, of the gospel that I taught you. It's the thing that you received, and it better be the thing that you stand on. And what he's saying there is, it better be the thing that you, you build your life on. It better be the foundation. It better be the thing that is absolutely immovable when the waves of life come. Because it's the only thing, it's the only foundation that will still be there. In this movie which I forgot the title of, uh, God's Not Dead too. In this movie, we, we've kind of gone through the process of seeing this uh, a teacher uh, talk about Jesus in her classroom because of a student's question. She's gone through the court system now, and um, although I haven't seen the movie yet, in this clip, we see that her attorney is coming to her and telling her, hey, it looks like you're going to get off the hook. All you got to do is say, I'm sorry, and you're off the hook. But she doesn't just believe in Jesus. She has some deep convictions about who he is and what he's done. I want you to see this clip. This is exactly what we're hoping for. I mean, this is the part where you say you're sorry, thank your lawyer, go back to your classroom, pick up your life, and move on. I can't do that. Why? I gave an honest answer to a student's legitimate question in history. Grace. <laughs> Grace, you don't want to do this. It's the wrong decision. Is it? 
I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. I am not going to be afraid to say the name Jesus. You see, she had a conviction. She had a conviction that she can't be ashamed of the gospel. Remember what we sang this morning? Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I will stand and boldly say, this is my life. This is my life. Folks, we've got to have a conviction that deep, that strong. I want us to see this morning in a, in a uh, uh, story from the Old Testament about a group of men that had this kind of conviction. But maybe we can see ourselves in them, or maybe we don't, and we should. But I want to share with you first what I call the, the conviction pyramid. I want you to understand that for most people, we only see the part of our lives that are in the green there. It's kind of like a, uh, an iceberg under the water. We see people's behaviors. But those behaviors have a foundation. They start with our convictions. Our convictions lead to our values. What is it that we truly value? Not what we say we value, but what do we really and truly value in life? And then our behaviors come out of our values. Okay? And so our convictions are important. If our convictions are wrong, that means our values will be wrong, and eventually our behaviors will be wrong. So let's read a story in Daniel 3 about three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <clears throat> I tried to figure out how to minimize the verses uh, to save time, but I figured God's word is better than what me talking, so we're just going to read them all. So let's start with point one, and that is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had deep conviction about their God. These are three Jewish men who uh, know the one true God. They have put their faith and trust in the one true God. They are following him faithfully, and they have deep convictions about their God. Let's see what happens uh, as they go through life here in Daniel chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 18. Try to stay with me. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. 
they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, I don't know how God could have worked in the, worked in the words Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and all those instruments uh, any more times in that passage, but I wanted you to see what was happening. So the king, Nebuchadnezzar, creates this image. He asks everybody, as soon as you hear the music, uh, uh, bow down and pray to the image. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not doing it. Not doing it. Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, guys, look, I've got this fiery furnace over here. You're either going to do it or you're going to go to the furnace. I love what they, how they answered. Listen, king, our God will deliver us. But if he doesn't, we will still worship the one true God. Even if we burn to ashes in your fiery furnace, even if God does not deliver us like we pray and hope that he will, we are going to serve the one true God. Wow, that's a conviction, folks. They were willing here in this point to lose their very lives, to do what they knew was right. They were not ashamed. They were not embarrassed. They were not humiliated. They said, we are going to stand for the one true God, and we refuse to bow down to this golden idol, even if it costs us our very lives. That's a conviction. They had a deep conviction about their God. And we see that their, their faith now is tested. Their faith now is tested. If nothing else, King Nebuchadnezzar is a man of his word. Let's look what it says in verses 19 through 23. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men 
were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, (coughs) fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. So we see here that they were not just men of word, but they were men of deed. They not only said, King, we won't bow down to your idol. In fact, if you throw us into the furnace, we believe God will deliver us. But if he doesn't, so be it. So be it. But the king was a man of his word. He said, fine, you're going to the furnace. He had them bound by some of his strongest men, and they took him down and threw him into the furnace. In fact, the king's men got so close to the flames that they were burned up and died. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace. Look, folks, we have got to get this uh, American thinking, American Christianity thinking out of our heads that if we just put our faith and trust in God, everything's going to be hunky-dory. Okay, it's not hunky-dory. I mean, ask Paul if everything was hunky-dory in his life. Ask the disciples who, who all went to a martyr's death except for John. Ask them if everything was hunky-dory in life. You see, the thing about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had an eternal perspective. They understood that even if they died in the fiery furnace at the hands of men, they would be standing before God and God saying, Well done, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so we see here that their faith was tested. Our faith will be tested. When we stand up for God with a conviction about who he is and what he has done, we will be tested. But I want you to see that God proved his greatness. God proved his greatness. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 24 through 27. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. The Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. We see here that God did exactly as they had hoped. He delivered them. In fact, when the king looked down and goes, uh, didn't we just throw three guys in there? They're like, yes, king, three guys. Well, I see four, and one of them sure looks like the son of a god. I wonder who that could be. And so now he says, hey, get them out of there. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out. They came out. Their hair was not singed. In fact, they didn't even smell like smoke. I mean, when I, you know, you, you all have been at campfires. You stand in the smoke of a campfire for about 10 seconds, and you smell like that until you get a shower, right? These men didn't even smell like smoke. They'd been in this fiery furnace for who knows how long, and they didn't even smell like smoke. God proved his greatness. He showed to everyone uh, exactly who he was. But let's not, let's not 
think that God is always going to do this for us. What if these men had burned up? Would God not still be in charge? Of course he would. Of course he would. But he chose, in this particular instance, to show his greatness to everyone there. And then we see that God was honored. God was honored. You know, when I was working on this sermon Tuesday or Wednesday, this fourth point I had, I had written there that uh, the faithful are blessed. But I changed that because I didn't want us to get the impression that just because we have strong convictions and just because we stand on them, things always work out the way we want them to. They do not. But one thing that does happen when we do that, God is always honored. Let's see what happens. In the end of our story, chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I don't want you to get the impression that every time you stand up for God, you're going to get a promotion. (coughs) But every time we stand up on our convictions about who God is, about what the gospel is, about who Jesus Christ is, God will be honored. And I think it's interesting that uh, uh, the king didn't only change his opinion about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did you see what he said about their God? He's the one true God. We don't know if he uh, it turned in faith to him, but we know that he was at least uh, intrigued at the fact that their God could deliver them this way. Now, folks... I don't know of too many fiery furnaces around this neck of the woods. I think it's interesting that we don't see any, uh, we don't see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, having any resistance. Did you notice that? You know, one of the things that I've always thought, I want to be careful because I know there's some kids in here, uh, in these um, videos and and pictures and and, uh, reports of people in the Middle East being martyred for their Christian faith, and they're, they're, you know, they're walking in a line or they're, they're chained up together. They're walking in a line. They all kneel down and, and the terrorists do their thing. Um, I, I've, always, I've always wondered about that because I've always wondered to myself, well, why don't they go down fighting? I mean, if I know I'm going to die that way, man, I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to go down fighting. I'm not going to just kneel down and let them do it. But I think it's interesting that in this moment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego They just walked into the fiery furnace basically with no resistance because they trusted God. And they had an eternal perspective. In that moment, I think God gives a grace to say, even if I lose my life, I'm pleasing God. Now, folks, I don't know for sure where you all live because I'm not in your mind, but I know where I live. We have got to have our beliefs grow into these deep, abiding convictions where we are willing to lose 
for what we believe to be true, for what we have conviction about. I don't think anybody in here is uh, at least rationally concerned about being thrown into a fiery furnace. Probably none of you are at, at rational fear of being martyred at your work if you name the name of Jesus. We're afraid of things like somebody might make fun of me at work if I talk about Jesus. My boss might call me into his office. I might be ridiculed. I might be picked last for the company softball team when we have our picnic if I talk about Jesus. I mean, honestly, folks, some of our fears that keep us from standing on our convictions are really pretty petty. Folks, I, I want to grow and worship with and be in a body with people that don't just have beliefs that are convenient when we want them to be, but have deep abiding convictions about who God is, about what the gospel is and what the way to heaven is, and about who Jesus is, and about all of the other hills to die on that we believe. Now, why is this important? Why is this important? Well, in this little booklet, there's uh, some statistics that they uh, put together from uh, uh, the Barna uh, company that does a lot of statistical information in the Josh McDowell uh, ministry. I want you to read some of the uh, statistics about these young people. This was a, a, a um, uh, they surveyed over 3,700 kids. And these are not 3,700 just kids from high school. These are 3,700 kids from evangelical churches, churches that believe the gospel, churches that believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God, churches that believe there is one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. These are churches that believe the right things, but they're teaching their kids to have belief without conviction. Study revealed that compared to kids who possess a solid biblical belief system, young people who lack such basic Bible convictions are, they're 225% more likely to be angry with life. They're 216% more likely to be resentful to their parents and authorities. They're 210% more likely to lack purpose in life, and they are 200% more likely to be disappointed in life. Now, if that's not enough, kids that don't possess a biblical belief system and don't have a deep conviction about it are 36% more likely to lie to a friend. They are 48% more likely to cheat on an exam. They are 200% more likely to steal. They are 200% more likely to physically hurt someone. They are 300% more likely to use illegal drugs. And they are 600% more likely to attempt suicide. Do you understand how important these biblical convictions are? Do you understand how important it is for us not to just believe them and stand on these biblical convictions, but to teach our kids not to just have a head belief in the gospel, but to have these deep convictions that, that, that direct the steps of their life? Don't forget this. Don't forget this. Their behavior, our behavior, is going to be built on our values, which are built on our convictions. 
Folks, our convictions about the gospel and about who God is and his son is and, and the Bible being true, these convictions direct who we are. They should. Let's not let them be just surface beliefs that we kind of think are possibly true. But let them be these deep, abiding convictions that really create the foundation of our lives. It does make a difference in who we are. And it makes a difference in how we engage the culture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you that we can stand strong in difficult times based on the truth of your word and how your spirit guides and leads us. Father, we're thankful for a spirit that never contradicts your word. We know that you never go against it, but you direct us to follow it. Father, help us to have these deep, abiding convictions in our what you want from us and what you want us to do and be. Help us to have these deep convictions that help us live in an age of compromise where people just choose to believe and do whatever they want to do. God, help us be directed by your word and by your spirit and help us never get that away uh, from our foundation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.